Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson. And returning to the pod, he's the host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. He's the author of the new book, Stories from Somewheres in the Skies. It's Ryan Sprague. Ryan Sprague! What's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm good, Rob. Hey, it's uh, the tables have turned, my friend. I had you on mm-hmm. not too long ago talking about, about your new comic and everything. So I'm really excited to be here um it seems like our paths cross constantly you're in my new book which i'm sure yes. we'll touch on as well you've been in both of my books actually yeah. so um Absolutely. no it's an honor to be here honestly oh it's always an honor to have you on dude always an honor to have you on and uh you know talking about ufos and all this crazy stuff and uh you know you you just put out your second book stories from somewhere in the skies and these are called from, you know, your your witness account series that you do on the podcast. So you've done like 26 volumes of this at this point. You got I know 27s, you know, it's it's in the works. You put out the call. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and speaking of, if people want to send in their accounts to you, where should they send those to? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm always working on witness accounts because they constantly come in, which is amazing. Like you said, I. When I first started the series, I was like, oh, maybe I'll get a couple stories. It'll make a a good episode for the week. And now it's a series within the podcast. And um, it's exciting, man, that people will share their stories. And on it, that was the culmination of the book as well. But um, to answer your actual question, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what was your original question? I forgot already. Where, where can they send their accounts to? Oh, my uh, gosh. forgive me i'm going on an hour of sleep um they can honestly just reach out to me on twitter at somewhere skies dm me or uh right at my website there's a contact tab somewhere in the skies.com and uh that's when i can give where i can give them more information on how to submit what i'm kind of looking for in each story and um i would tell people go back and listen to the 26 volumes get an idea of kind of how people decide to tell their stories and then make it your own. That's what we want. We want to hear it from your voice. We don't want to know what I think about it or, mm-hmm. you know, what some other UFO research, UFO researcher thinks happened to you. We want to hear what you think happened to you. Um, yeah. So yeah, witness accounts is going strong. Like you said, balls always in the air. I've got another one coming out in the next couple of weeks and uh, it's a doozy some of the strangest stories I've gotten yet. And that is because people felt empowered after reading the book to come forward. So yeah, it's, it's a, a wonderful little, little baby. We, we birthed over at somewhere in the skies with witness accounts. Absolutely. So uh, in the uh, introduction to the book, um, we talk about how there is this gap in ufology right now between the the perception of ufos which is heavily you know veered towards the military Mm -hmm. and the uh, like everything else which is doesn't have a military these are civilian people and you talked about bridging that gap why do you think it's important to bridge that gap why did you set out to do that uh as you know as a goal if for this book Two reasons. The first being ever since 2017, um, hundreds and hundreds of people who have gotten involved in this topic, whether it's online or, or you know, just in their own lives. Uh, people are now interested more than ever in UFOs. They've seemingly gone mainstream. And you and I, we knew the world before 2017 when it came to this topic, completely mm-hmm. different. Um, so I think now where we're living in an age where military UFO encounters are at the forefront, no matter where you turn, every news outlet, um, you know, we just had this Senate UAP hearing recently. We have the new office established in the Department of Defense, Arrow. Um, everything is focused on that. 
and, and these quote unquote trained observers who are experiencing something in our skies that uh, shouldn't be there and looking at it from a national security standpoint. And look, there, there's a time and a place for that. that that's always going to be a part of UFOs is the military aspect to all of this. However, you and I know after speaking with hundreds of individuals that um, it's everyday people who are really having these experiences. I mean, statistically, you look at it and there's only so many military people having incidents over military installations. There's probably 20 to 30 cases for every one of those outside of the military. So that's what I wanted to focus on, the everyday people having the experiences, um, the ones not being covered by mainstream media every single day at nauseum. And um, yeah, that's what we focus on at Somewhere in the Skies. And that's what the book is. I have a section in the book of military encounters. Um, and the reason I included that is kind of the second reason that that I, I said that in the intro, that there's this big gap. Um, Military people are also human. Mm -hmm. They have beliefs like you and I. They have their own beliefs on what they saw, um, even if the military says differently about what they saw. Uh, so I wanted to focus on that too. show that even people who have been in service and have had these experiences are just the same as you and I wrestling, struggling with what they saw and, and trying to understand it and not knowing where to go. And thankfully there are shows like yours and mine and, and other UFO podcasts out there where they do have a place to go to talk about these things without, um, the stigma being attached to it any longer. So yeah, those are kind of the reasons I wanted to, um, at least acknowledge that gap and do something about it. Yeah, and it's it's very important because it, yeah, th this public perception of UFOs is <laughs> it's it, it's always so fascinating to me because again, it, it it's like you're it, it it just feels like a lot of people are putting UFO sightings into a certain club that you have to be in in order to I don't know, like appreciate them or to like have this space to even share them half the time mm -hmm. because again like after 2017 and i i've started calling it the great reset because that's what it is for this topic yeah. is like it's a clean slate ufos do not exist past 2004 like this is the world we're in and uh, it's all it's all military so it just makes a lot of sense to give you know a voice to people who have never had it before and um who can put their sightings in a place where they can be you know where they're not judged and where they have a space of their own so in terms of um the stories what was the process like culling through all of these witness accounts and choosing the ones that ended up in the book because like you, we're talking about right now it's got to be like what over 20 hours of audio <laughs> you yeah know, just alone on the podcast so what was that process like and and how did you ultimately you know come to choose the stories that ultimately made it into the book mm -hmm. so you know i think you said maybe 26 volumes 27 volumes were up to I'd say maybe about six months ago now, I decided to do what one of my wrestling podcasts I listen to does. They'll take, you know, they'll, if they have talked about whatever Vince McMahon in like 10 of their episodes, they'll take those 10 episodes throughout the run of their show and kind of mash them together and make what they call a megasode. Um, yeah. And I loved that idea. So I was like, huh, I could do that with the witness account series. And Put that out there for people who may have not heard the series throughout yep. the run of Somewhere in the Skies. So then they can just listen to it straight through. Um, so I did three megasodes of like five, five volumes each and people loved it. They're like, I could like throw it on and just listen to it, um, you know, one hour here, one hour there and have them all in one place. Uh, so that was really kind of the inception of the idea for the book. I was like, okay, Somewhere in the Sky started as a book. I continued it in podcast form, and now it's full circle. I've gone from making what 
inspired me to make the podcast. And now what inspired me to make the witness account series into a book. And that's mm-hmm. the witness accounts. Um, so it was very uh, daunting to say the least. I literally, I made those megasodes so that I personally also had a comprehensive way of going through these things. And I did sit there for almost 20 hours on and off, maybe a couple pee breaks and really, really try to decide which stories resonated with me personally. You know, how I felt when I saw what I saw, um, how you expressed how you felt when you saw what you saw and kind of picking my greatest hits, I guess, not to say Mm -hmm. that any story is more important than the other, but these were the ones that really stuck out to me as unique um, and really had had a, um, I guess, a beginning, middle, and end. But you and I both know there's never an end to these things. No. There's no conclusion or, no. or it's not easily wrapped up. But yeah, these were really the stories that stuck out to me personally. Someone else might think differently and been like, oh, why didn't you include this one? Or, or you know, that one was too similar to that one. But yeah, what you see in this book is kind of what I personally, on my journey to try to find answers, um, I found most compelling. And and I personally learned a little something from each of these. So let's get into some of these stories here, because uh, there are a lot of like absolutely just like interesting ones. And I, and I think what's great about what you've done with this book is you've chosen a a diverse array of things so it's not like there are stories that don't necessarily totally feel like ufo stories there's one in here that feels like kind of like a ghost story in a way in the way that it plays out uh like ronnie leblanc's story in in this book in which you know he sees these like orbs of light and before this uh his significant other felt like she was being touched on the leg like mm-hmm. you know and i think that's uh you know one of the great things about this book this diverse array so i'm curious what are what are some stories that uh that are some of your favorites or that uh that really stuck with you while you were putting this together yeah sure so the first one that really sticks out to me um and this came to me i want to say even before the witness account series was created um i already had people reaching out to me and being like hey i've got a ufo story um i heard your show i don't know if you ever like want stories to read on air but here's one um and, and that was one of these where i literally read this on the air as kind of like a preamble to an episode And I didn't realize until I was reading it on air how truly weird it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was a story, the book I titled The Bubbling Black Blob of Fife. (laughs) And right off the bat, you know, you're not dealing with just a a nuts and bolts silver flying disc in the air. Um, Mm -hmm. So talk about unique. This happened in Fife, Scotland. And this happened in 1996 to a gentleman named Tommy. And he was riding his bike home with a friend and they saw this, um, like this oil slick in the middle of the road, you know, when gas builds up in like a pothole or, or it's really hot out and you can see kind of the waves coming off, whatever's in the road, that sort of thing. And, um, they, they wanted to ride around it, you know, on their bikes And as they get closer to this thing, they realize that it's actually growing in the road. It's getting um, wider. It's getting longer. Like, whoa, like, is, is this like an oil leak in the middle of the road? What the hell is going on? So the closer and closer they get, um, they start to realize that this oil slick is bubbling. It's like boiling and uh, something's off. Like, so this is not right. Um, And they're watching this bubbling black oil slick or a blob as Tom, Tommy would eventually end up calling it. They watch as this blob begins to levitate off of the road and slowly ascend into the sky. It's like eye level at this point where, where they're watching this him and his friend, like drop their bikes. They're staring at this black blob in the air and um, they could smell this horrific odor coming off of whatever this thing was. They could almost see and feel electricity coming off it. And it was 
morphing almost as if it was like an organic thing mm. or intelligent almost. And they just watched this blob just continue ascending into the air, still bubbling, still boiling, shoot up into the air. There's like a flash of light, horribly loud, unbearable noise occurs. And then the thing is gone. It just disappears. So I don't know, man. I, I, when he brought this story to me again, this is within one of the first couple episodes of Someone in the Skies. I'm like, ooh, I, I'm really going out on a limb talking about this one. This might turn people off immediately. Where now I look at it as one of the pinnacle stories that's ever come to the show because of how unbelievably unique it was. And it was a quote unquote UFO, it was mm-hmm. in the air, it was unidentified. And, um, they never, never knew what the hell that thing was. The bubbling black blob of Fife. <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you categorize something like that? It's yeah. Just how like... does Project Blue Book <laughs> tick that box off? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How are you going to how are you going to take care of that? Heineck? How about you? Pimpania, huh? What's going on? But like. Again, that gets into the like the diversity of the stories that you put into this book. Like, I don't know how to categorize that. I don't know how to quantify that. It's just there's some stuff that was on the road and it lifted up and it formed into something and it flew off and it smelled terrible. <laughs> Absolutely putrid, he said. Um, I, I should mention, too, Rob, I forgot about this aspect. Apparently, they had missing time, too, after this setting. Oh, I mean. They were on their way to see a friend. This happens. They decide to go home instead. And they get a call from the friend's like mom uh, calling the other mom at home. And she's like, hey, where 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 Tommy and and, you know, the friend, they never showed up. And they were like, oh, well, we were on our way. But then this happened. Um, but but yeah, we we we'll, we'll go meet up with him. And the mom on the other line was like, well, he's been waiting like four hours for you guys. Holy God. Where they said that this event only occurred for a few minutes. So, mm-hmm. I mean, again, that just amplifies the high strangeness of this entire thing. Um, they don't think they were abducted, at least not to Tommy's knowledge. But uh, there was definitely some sort of missing time with the bubbling black blob, if you ask me. Yeah. And like, I, I think there's elements of missing time that just like automatically get linked to UFO accounts and, and abduction accounts. But like um, there are plenty of stories of people losing time and like being teleported, transported yeah. someplace else. So like there are other aspects to the missing time thing. And I mean, and, and I remember, you know, there are a few other people that I've heard missing time stories from and they're just like. I don't think I was abducted, but it's just like there's this gap of time that I just do not know how to make sense of. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, like this. This story is just weird all around. Like this is I, I I'm, I'm I always like when stories like this leave me speechless. Uh, and there's plenty me of too. stories in this book that actually that actually do. But um, um, what he, sticks he, out to you? Can I ask? Can I flip the. Uh... Oh, the yeah, yeah. On you? Which so, one kind of left you speechless? I'm curious. Um, the uh, it's the story called the fire figure in the outback. Oh, so like, you know, this is, you know, you got soldiers. I think they're in northern Australia and, we're, you know, uh, it's I, I can't even imagine living in some place. It's just hot all the time. And like there's two seasons <laughs> wet and dry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's these guys, they're out on patrol and they see these objects in the sky. They're like orange colored lights and they watch them for quite a while. They radio, they're about to radio in to their commander and, you know, a bunch of them depart. And then there's just one left just hanging there. So they, and I think what's amazing about this story is like, they just sit there and watch it for like a long time. Like this thing hangs around for hours Mm-hmm. They're like laying, I think they describe laying on like the tarmac or something and just like looking up at this thing. And eventually they one of the guys sees this like glow coming from the brush nearby and he assumes, hey, it's a fire. 
He walks over to it and it's like a glowing set of pants, like a glowing set of legs. They're just like there. Yeah. Yep. Like I can't I can't see anything else because it's kind of like backlit. But I'm like, it kind of reminded me a little of the um, Draguignol um, sighting from 1973. Uh, and this is a year of the humanoids case in which uh, this one guy and his girlfriend were on their motorcycle and they were in the vicinity of the mountain and they end up like getting paced by this ufo so um they eventually you know beat feet back into town they tell a friend this friend gathers a bunch of friends they go up to this mountain and they're like well we're gonna stake this out we're gonna see this ufo so they're there for a little bit they don't see a ufo but they see this figure coming down the mountain and there's like a light um, that eventually materializes into this figure. And it's a tall figure, like seven feet tall um, and uh, kind of like a featureless type of figure. But um, everybody decides, no, we're going to beat feet. We're going to get the hell out of here. <laughs> so they decide to go down the mountain. Um, well, uh, there's one group that gets a little bit further than the other, um, because uh, at a certain point, this one figure turns into three and they kind of pursue this guy, this one car down the mountain. And one driver has the idea that they're going to back up and they're going to, they're going to back up to these creatures. They're going to get out of the vehicle. And they ask the creatures, are you good or are you bad? (laughs) Like naturally, naturally. Uh, And the funny thing is, is like they all conferred with each other for a moment and then it looked like they were just going to go get, get them. So they just got the hell out of there. But the other group that's further down the hill, they see what they describe as a red luminous legs just run out in front of them. Oh, wow. There so you like go. That, yeah, that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, man, we got some luminous pants. Like we got, we some, got some we got some Fresno night crawlers here. I was just going to say our clown pants is making a comeback. Clown as pants, well. man. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the military stories in my yes. book, which you wouldn't expect. You would have thought, you know, this section of the book would be like the most methodical kind of um, straight laced ufo encounters out there mm-hmm. um when in reality some of those military stories in the book are the strangest ones i mean there was one right before that where a guy had um a shadow figure incident happen in a nuclear installation in the most top secret corridor of the base yeah. um so yeah again we're not just talking lights in the sky with this book we've got a lot of different things and um that one the fire figure in the outback definitely one of the stranger ones i've heard of like almost disembodied legs just in a self-illuminated ball of fire um, and, and they even called the fire department to come out because yes. they, like yeah. you mentioned, they thought it was a brush fire. And when the fire department shows up, the fireball with the pants in it or the legs just um, flips off like a switch and it's gone. And when they run up to where it was, there's nothing but a pile of like ash and sand, but nothing around it, the vegetation, the bushes, the ground, nothing was burnt whatsoever. So what the hell? What what do you make of that? So they go to report this event and their commander says, nope, didn't happen. So you've got that that whole cliche as well. Um, he said, maybe you saw what was in the sky, but that was it. You're making everything else up. Don't put it in the report. We're not going to talk about this. So um, that was a tough one. That was by a woman, actually. Um, at least uh, someone who identified as female, Dalen, um, mm-hmm. brought this story to me. And she said, I've never spoken about this before. I'm probably never going to speak about it again. But here's my story for you. And I, that means a lot to me, man. Like, I do not take that lightly. And you know that um, mm-hmm. when people trust you with these stories, I want to give it the respect and the space it truly deserves. So I hope I've done these 50 people and stories justice. And um, that was definitely by far one of the ones that really stood out to me as unique. Yeah. And like, it's, it's the kind of, it's, 
it's one of those kind of cases that like yeah i i can only laugh because like i don't i don't think i can like um think of anything else um one other one other story that i i just like absolutely loved is the um the skies of Monsterland, <laughs> and yeah and the um the eight foot tall mantis Mantis man. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You got uh you got a straight up mantis man encounter in in the middle of New Jersey. Um <laughs> New Jersey's a weird place, dude. Like not mm-hmm. just with UFOs and aliens, just in general, having lived adjacent to it for half my life. Um, it's just a weird place. Um, and you've got the story of the mantis man that was told by a gentleman named Patrick who encountered this near a river there. Um, I had another story in the book of an alien, just a, just an alien gray mm-hmm. um, walking down the sidewalk of New Jersey yep. in the suburbs, just as if it had come from the grocery store and was on its way home. Someone encountered an alien gray just walking down the sidewalk after having seen a UFO in the sky. So I don't know what's going on over there in New Jersey, but we got grays, we've got mad toids, we've got everything going on there. Yeah, yeah, there there's just like a lot going on. Uh yeah, New Jersey definitely has its own its own bit of weirdness. Um so, you know, in the first book, you you talked about your own experience at um the the place formerly known as the Doctors Inn. It's not the Doctors Inn anymore. Um <laughs> but um I'm curious when you when you when the story of, uh, as you put it, the tapping on the window came to you, did you? How did it make you feel when that story came into your into your lap? I'm just it, curious. It, it gave me goosebumps because um, I put myself right back in those memory shoes of being at the doctor's inn in Central New York and. Um, Mentally, uh, probably physically too, but mostly mentally and emotionally preparing myself to possibly have a close encounter or or be abducted. Um, and look, I put myself in that situation. I, I I spent a weekend in the middle of the woods, you know the area well, um, with a group of alien quote unquote abductees to see if anything would happen. And um it was a terrifying night, no matter what it was or wasn't. Uh, I really thought my reality was going to change that night. And it did in some ways. Um, but I did get a story of a woman who had an experience where something kept tapping on her window. And I could hear it. I could hear it in my head when she was telling it. And and it brought me back to that moment. So again, those are the types of stories that really resonated with me. I had to put that one in the book for obvious reasons. But um, from what I recall, that was a story where a young girl was visited by something, Mm -hmm. um, a, a, a being of some sort, and it wanted her to come with her onto a craft. And it was very insistent on her coming with her. And um, she found it very scary, uh, traumatizing. She did not go with the being, thank God. Um, But yeah, again, it's just one of those stories that has these small elements that until you hear it from the individual telling it, um, it, it's not as impactful. So I had to, I had to call it tapping on the window as a kind of a call back to what had happened to me in chapter 13. You hear that Mike Clell in chapter 13, <laughs> one, three, make a pattern of that buddy. Um, I, it brought me right back, right back to those days. So shout out to Mike Clell. And I love that man to death. He, he's such a great dude. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we had him on and uh, we talked his ear off like, and, and like the conversation surprisingly kept coming back to Cernak Lake. Like uh, we would, 
uh, you know, we started off talking about Saranac Lake and like we would veer away and he's like, oh, this this reminds me of something in Saranac Lake. And I'm like, oh, man, here we go. <laughs> here we go. There's something about the area, man. I mean, and you look at your own sighting, which I've had you tell now in both versions of my books um, of the Adirondack egg. I called it this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I hope that title was OK. I really tried no, to yeah. make the titles fun. Um, and mm-hmm. your story again, we can, we can trace these things back and find like patterns with even historic cases out there. And yours has always reminded me of the Socorro incident, the, mm-hmm. the craft itself. And I love that. Someone asked me on an interview the other day, um, about your story and they made that comparison without me even bringing it up. So right then and there, I'm like, wow, there's something to this. People are seeing similar things in the sky. And um, while we can draw patterns sometimes, uh, it really is that individual experience that shapes and molds how they eventually interpret it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I find that very fascinating as well. Yeah. And um, for for um, for anybody that wants to go back, because, uh, you know, you, you edited these stories down, you know, to... <laughs> Uh, to size and and everything and to you know make them put them in a framework um if anybody goes back and listens to it's volume three um i believe i'm the first story featured in volume three i talk about that i talk about how because lonnie zamora was my in to this topic into this phenomenon that it seemed kind of fitting that my introductory introduction to it is this giant egg so like you know those parallels like it makes you think well does this whatever this stuff is whatever this phenomenon is does it does it see what what's in your head and and decide this is the form that i choose is this the gozer are the Mm. ufos really gozer (laughs) gozerian (laughs) interesting yeah right but it but it really makes you wonder and that was something that i've i've always wondered about and like it's interesting to see other people making that kind of comparison because it Mm -hmm. is it's one that i that i made you know quite a few times when when thinking about it and and that was a conversation that i had with mike too because we did uh we did bring up that sighting and how um we're we're doing this podcast because of that sighting, basically. Like mm-hmm. this podcast wouldn't exist without it. So I'm curious, man. What what are some of your other favorite stories from the book? Uh, let's see. Um, I kind of mentioned the alien on the sidewalk, which was a cool one. Mm-hmm. Um. This one sticks out to me because it's not what you would expect in the middle of New York City, of all places. Now, um, Saranac Lake, up in the Adirondacks, um, areas in upstate and central New York are very well known for their UFO cases. But you don't hear a lot in the more metropolitan areas of literally New York City. I mean, I, I barely ever had any ufo reports come to me because of you know light pollution and and just simply being by two huge airports um everything can usually be explained with an airplane um but i titled a chapter in the book the bronx invasion because i uh i had a guy reach out to me miguel who had two separate ufo sightings in the middle of manhattan so i had to include Mm. these to kind of give a shout out to my my home for the past 12 something years. And um, the first one happened to him in 1989. And this happened at uh, over the Whitestone Bridge, which is over the Hudson River in New York. And he saw, um, he was a kid at the time. He saw a classic just flying saucer hovering right above the river. And um, not only that, shortly after seeing the saucer, he saw a fighter jet head towards the thing again like we are not used to seeing fighter jets over manhattan if that's the case something is very very wrong and the fact that this kid saw 
a jet pursue what he claims was a flying saucer. And then the jet disappeared with the UFO over Queens somewhere. Um, it's troubling to say the least. So that was interesting. But then, you know, many, many years later in 2002, he had another sighting in the Bronx. And this actually took place when he was working security at a beer distribution company. And he <laughs> saw a massive black triangle that floated right past the building, lit up the entire area. And um, this one reminded me, do you ever see the episode of the X-Files where Mulder's like in an abandoned factory and the triangular UFO is yes. outside? Yep. Oh my God, dude. Like that reminded me so much of this. I was just envisioning like this guy and his beer distribution building and a UFO floating outside the window and kind of just scoping him out inside. And then the thing floating by and disappearing. So um, ugh, it gave me chills. And again, the reason I decided to include those is while they, you know, a flying saucer, black triangle, we hear about these all the time. You don't hear about them in the middle of freaking New York City. No. So I found that terribly unique as well. Yeah, and what's interesting here is um, I just did re just released an episode um, with um, Mothboy Matt from the Mothboys, and we talked ah, about yes. New York. We talked about New York stories, and one of the stories that I told is about the supposed UFO crash that happened in 1989 in Mauritius Bay off Long Island. And what we what uh, I ended up finding, because this was a case that was covered by Leonard Stringfield in one of his status report updates. I think it's like status report update six. And what he had found was that at that time in 1989, despite the fact that the Hudson Valley, you know, UFO wave was pretty much done with by like 86, 87, somewhere around there. A lot of people reported large objects. Um, some were like boomerang shapes, some were giant triangles, others flying saucers. So it's so interesting that he had that. And like we've basically, you know, there is a, a, a series of other sightings that took place. A lot of them were documented in um, September of that year. And um, even even earlier than that, there are some other sightings. But basically, there were a lot of people um, near Mauritius Bay that ended up seeing this object just like hovering over the area. And they also had like military helicopters in the area around this thing for uh, mm. hours it hung around from like 8 30 to about midnight is what these people oh, were wow. saying yeah um and this and, and this was a case investigated by uh laufan the long island ufo network so it, 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 there's an interesting parallel man we're making connections here we are and you know that's great i can't wait to hear that episode because i know you and i did a, a new york episode on summer in the skies too yep. where if I recall, we covered that crazy case of like an ice cream cone UFO over your a nuclear plant, if I'm yes. remembering correctly. Um, yeah. Crazy, man. New York doesn't get the credit it deserves when it comes to this stuff. Um, everyone just always thinks of like the Hudson Valley wave and that's kind of it. Or like the Brooklyn Bridge abduction story. Take that mm. for what you will. But um, there's such a rich history of UFOs in New York. And, um, I've got yours. I've got this one in New York city. Um, I believe there's one or two other stories out of New York in the book as well. Um, I'd have to really go back and look, but yeah, um, it's fascinating. Um, and I, I, I love hearing that La Yufan was the ones to look into it. That's, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting name for a UFO group. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's so great. Um, <laughs> So, um, man, I, I need you to tell the, the Michael McMillan story because it's just so good. <laughs> it's so it's so good. It's so weird. And like, it's so unexpected for like an alien encounter type story. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So for any of your listeners who don't know, uh, Michael McMillan's an actor in Los Angeles. Um, I knew him best from uh, True Blood. He played Mm -hmm. one of my favorite characters back in the day on True Blood um, for one of their seasons. And he also was in um, Silicon Valley, which is another show I love, too. Um, And when I was living in Los Angeles for a small stint there, uh, Michael reached out to me. He, he listened to my show. He listened to your show and he was like, Hey, you're in LA now. We got to do an episode. Like, mm-hmm. like, let's do this. And I was like, Oh my God, I've seen you on TV. I was like so <laughs> nervous. Um, but he, he had been doing this podcast with his buddy, Bryce Johnson, um, another actor, uh, for a few years called the Bigfoot collectors club. And it kind of mm-hmm. started as a Bigfoot show and, as these things often do morph into all different types of high strangeness and UFOs. And um, I had the awesome opportunity to come on live and uh, do a show with them when I was living there. And we just hit it off. We became really good friends and colleagues after that. And um, Michael had on occasion said, I have a crazy story for you. I'm not quite ready to talk about it yet, but I will, I will. And I remember, um, distinctly one night he he finally broke down he's like okay i'm gonna tell you the story about the alien in my window and i was like what what you've been holding back on me with that dude i thought you were gonna tell me like you saw some lights in the sky or something Mm -hmm. not a close encounter of the third kind um so yeah he told this story on the podcast and i had to put it in the book i called it the night visitor of hollywood and um This happened in June of 2016. Um, Oddly enough, this happened right after a trip that Michael had made to Roswell, New Mexico to go to the (laughs) supposed crash site, the UFO museum. Um, So he lived in a ground floor apartment building in, um, in Hollywood. And one night he was woken up by his dogs barking in, in the home. So he's like, oh, God, like, what's going on? What is there an intruder? I got to go check on this. So he gets up, he goes out to the living room and in the window. He sees all he could describe as let me let me actually pull this up here Mm because I want to get it right. Um, I could see the silhouette of a figure. What was curious about it, though, was instead of it being the silhouette of a human, the shadow I saw had a long, skinny neck, a rounded head, head, and a pointy chin. I couldn't see any details because the curtains were drawn, but my dogs were going apeshit barking at this thing. <laughs> and all I said to myself was, well, that looks like an alien. <laughs> And you, if you listen to the podcast, you can hear Michael yeah. saying that out loud. Um, yeah. And then he goes on to just say it was a classic gray alien silhouette, something that looks straight out of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, and as I was looking at it and thinking this, the figure turned its head to its left. And I could see that the head and the neck sort of undulate. I could see where the neck was fused at the back of the head and it almost looked like a golf wedge, which... Yeah, that makes sense when you think mm-hmm. about the um, kind of profile of an alien gray. Um, and he at first was like, oh, maybe it was my neighbor or something. But his neighbor was at home at the time that this happened. Um, could have been someone scoping out the area, but uh, he didn't think so. And he eventually his neighbor does come home and he like straight up asks him, like, did you like see anything out there and his his neighbor was like no but funny enough like the the motion sensor lights kept going off outside so there was definitely something there Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean take this for what you will michael doesn't claim that he literally stared into the deep black orbital eyes of a gray alien or anything but he believes that he possibly saw an alien gray scoping out his apartment there right in the middle of Hollywood. So again, not these areas where you would expect these events to take place, but they do happen and they happen to true blood actors and Silicon (laughs) Valley actors and the hosts of Bigfoot podcasts. So yeah, I, um, I was really honored that Michael decided to share that story on the show for sure. 
And I think my favorite part in it, in it is that he says, I think the alien might have been interested in my dog snoring. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. Like, that is very possible. Who right. knows what they're interested in? I know you've covered some of the weirdest stories of alien greys. And, um, and one of my favorite episodes you ever did was Sometimes Aliens F Up. And, you know, we don't know why they do the things they do or their motivations or why they make mistakes. And and maybe this was one of those moments where it was getting ready for an abduction, um, but it heard the dog snoring and it got distracted and curious by that. And uh, the rest is history. I, I honestly couldn't tell you, but that's the night visitor of Hollywood. So I think we there's a valuable lesson here and that if we want to thwart alien abductions, we need sounds of animals snoring and we <laughs> need to have them playing in the background. It's just a complete and total distraction for them. We've got it. This is um, this is our moment where, um, you know, we're not uploading the virus into like the alien mainframe, but this is the next best thing we have dogs <laughs> snoring. Absolutely. Definitely not as hard as uploading a virus to an alien craft. We just throw dog snoring into YouTube and you're set for the next 12 hours. Yeah, exactly. Like it's the new white noise. Like you're going to go to sleep <laughs> to it every night and you're going to live a carefree life knowing like this is the update to Ann Druffles how to defend yourself against alien abduction. Like, yep, it's it's we've needed it for a long time now. And, you know, I think little by little, we're going to piece it together. <laughs> we're going to get this down pat because uh you know we've we've got to stop this at all costs like uh it's it's getting i mean it's, it doesn't have the spotlight that it used to but they've got to still be happening out there you know so yeah absolutely um, man defensive tool like this is this is our shark repellent we've got it now <laughs> <laughs> oh batman i miss that i miss the 60s version was it oh uh, yes uh, 60s, yeah. 60s, 60s okay. Batman, God bless you, Adam West. Hey, man, like, and like we laughed a lot at some of these stories because of how mm -hmm. weird they are. But I do want to note, too, like some of these events are deeply traumatic for people mm -hmm. and, and scary. So I highlight those as well. We talked about some of the, the weirder ones that you can kind of... Mm -hmm you know, smirk at, and I'm sure these people did as well. I mean, Michael had, you know, there's a lot of humility in, in him telling that story and yeah. same with the bubbling black blob of Fife. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't want people to think laughing at these things takes away from them whatsoever. No. That's no. just our uneasiness of trying yes. to also accept that these things are actually happening to people. And I firmly believe that that was yeah. another big reason I picked these stories is these are the, the weirder they are, the more I'm apt to believe these things actually happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, the, the one thing that we touched upon a lot is the idea that it's the absurdity of a lot of these cases that lend credence to them. And the mm -hmm. fact that they don't follow a set of, uh, of human logic to their ultimate end, which is always abrupt. It's never, you know, in, in a nice and like even story by the time that you get to the end of it. Um, right. And I think that's something uh, that's very important to emphasize um, over and over again is like the idea that um, when we laugh, yeah, we're one of the reasons that we laugh is because these aliens just like when you read about alien encounters, it's like these these aliens seem like bumbling idiots like half the time. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're or, worthy of laughing at, you know. Yes, <clears throat> bubbling idiots or just like lacking all emotion and, and mm -hmm. empathy for what they're actually doing to people and yes. Um, um, but yeah, more, more, more times than not, um, bumbling idiots for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like they travel talking... all this way and make mm -hmm. the like most easiest mistakes. If you ask me. Yeah. They, they travel all this way. They haven't done their homework. They don't know how bed sheets work. They, <laughs> they, they don't know how simple things work. Put you back they... in the wrong car. Yeah, put you back in the wrong car. Your clothes are on backwards. What are clothes? How do they work? This is like, you know, if 
if with ICP it's magnets, with aliens it's clothes. How do they work? Like they're <laughs> literally trying to figure it out. They don't know yet. And I can see that struggle on their face every single time because like sure, when you see like images of grays over and over again, there's like there's no image that you can read off that face, but deep down you know it's clothes. They don't understand it. Yep. That is the mystery of the universe. Clothes. Yeah. Clothes. Close. like they're like why do you think they wear one piece outfits because it's too complicated for them to figure it out so Ugh, like, uh, good you know, point man they're yeah. they haven't graduated past onesies yet no so they're just like they're just like slightly larger toddlers that's it <laughs> you know um slightly larger toddlers with um that look terrifying um one one thing that i'm absolutely curious about um and and, and i think it's a an apt question to ask here you know um one thing that i um that i tout you for and i tout um even mike cleland is the questions that you generally ask are the questions that most investigators don't ask which is you know how did this affect you you know what were you doing before this and and how did this change your life and you know you've you've asked all of these witnesses to give their insights on what they what you what they think they these encounters mean for them mm-hmm. so i'm curious and, and and not only that but how they changed them so i'm curious how did how have these stories changed you since you started doing this series like you started doing the witness account series back in what 2017 yeah um so in all of these years later, how has this series changed you, changed your outlook, changed your view on this topic? It has made me such a more empathetic person. And, you know, I, 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 I've always been kind of sensitive, wear my heart on my sleeve, um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of person to begin with. And I think that's one of the strengths that I have in this field above other researchers who are very, and I don't fault them for this, uh, are very to the point, just want data, just want evidence, don't care really about the witness. And that's fine. Like there's a, there's a place for everyone in, in investigating these things. But at the same time, I'm also not like a hypnotherapist. I'm not trying to unravel Mm -hmm. this puzzle, um, to tell you what happened to you. Um, I'm just here to listen. And I've, I've tried to keep that in mind as I continue the show is I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to explain these things. I'm just here. If you want to tell your story to get it out there, to preserve it, where it goes from there is up to you. If you want to, you know, if you want to try to find answers, you reach out to me and I'll try to put you in touch with someone else who had a similar experience that, that, came into the show. I've had that happen where listeners from different volumes of the show mm-hmm. emailed me and they're like, Hey, I just listened to volume 24 and they saw a rhombus shaped object in the sky that I think I saw. Is there any way I could talk to them? Um, and then I very carefully put them in touch responsively and let them take it from there. Um, so I, I think what I've learned is that I'm here to give people a voice. If people are going to continue listening to somewhere in the skies or reading my books or giving a crap about what I have to say about UFOs, which still stuns and surprises me. (laughs) um, I want to take that very seriously. And and I want to be responsible with that. And I want to give these people a place to tell their story when nobody else will listen. And I think that's kind of what I've learned that I'm not out to find answers to the UFO mystery. And I don't think I ever truly was maybe when I first started, I thought that was possible, but I think that's a mistake every single UFO researcher makes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I go back to Heineck. I go back to Stanton Friedman, uh, these men who dedicated half their lives to this topic and were no closer to an answer than when they left. I hope they're getting those answers now. Um, and maybe we will someday as well. But right mm-hmm. now, man, I'm continuing to live in this journey and live through these stories 
of other people and not so much find connections between the triangle I saw and the triangle someone else saw. Um, but what it did to us and in the path that sent us on again, I never planned on being a UFO researcher doing what I do or talking to you right now, even, um, that was never, never what I expected, but here I am and I love it. And I love kind of the community that's built up around this witness account series. And if I can continue to be that person that you want to tell your story to awesome. Um, I, I, I would love to do that. So yeah, it's been a huge learning process for me. I feel like I've grown, uh, immensely through this series. It's opened my mind in many different ways. Um, it's made me embrace the weirder aspects of the UFO topic. Um, and go back to the heart of why I truly started the show. And that was to hear people's stories. And yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now in my personal journey. And I have to thank every single person in the book and every person who's ever submitted their story to the show for that. I would not be who I am today without them. When you had me on your show last time with, uh, with our buddy Todd Purse, um, mm-hmm. we talked about welcome UFO people, the web comic. One of the things that I remember you saying is that you called yourself a fence sitter and you said that you were, you know, sitting on that fence and you weren't going to get off it. <laughs> and I think that's a gross mischaracterization. I think what you are and, and what I appreciated about you is that you're an open book and not only are you an open book, but you're an open book that allows people to tell their stories. You're an open book that uh, allows people to just come up and write their story in it. And that's one of the beautiful things about what you do. And one of the things that I appreciate about you is is lending space to the people who want to get their stories out there and who maybe want to find a connection through sharing their stories and that's one thing that your podcast has been doing proudly for years and it's a lot to be proud of man and i'm i'm proud of you for putting out this book so dude thank you thank you so much for coming on the pod and and talking about this and you know for for being you and for doing the podcast and giving these people a voice so you know thank you uh first and foremost but uh you know Well, let me just say thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, This book is not by me. I mean, it's that Mm -hmm. simple. I wrote like a five-page introduction. There's a foreword, and I wrote like an introduction to each section. But like, this was a book by you and the Mm -hmm. 49 other people who came forward. So um, uh, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share your story twice now. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you to anyone listening who's ever reached out to me. So... um, no, it's an honor. You continue to inspire me every day. You keep me going. Um, there's other shows out there as well that that really inspire me. Many of them are in the book. I, I do have a lot of podcasters in the UFO space that submitted their stories. And without you guys, I don't know if I would continue on this journey. We We all have personal lives as well. And that's sometimes and should take precedent over the ufo topic but Mm -hmm. this is the one thing that brings us together and it's a mystery mystery we all continue to pursue so um i'm just thankful to have good friends and colleagues um who i could literally trust with my life and and Mm -hmm. in in this topic and you're one of those people so um sorry that was my long-winded way of saying thank you for having me (laughs) (laughs) no thank you dude no thank you like uh it's always a good to chat with you about all this all the stuff man all the ufo stuff so uh if people want to get their hands on the book where can they get their hands on this book right now yeah absolutely um right now it's available at barnes and noble i've been told um and obviously on the soul-sucking corporate uh (laughs) megalith that is amazon i hate to say it but look that's that's where it's available um Uh, in paperback and ebook. And we do have an audiobook planned. I just talked to the publishers today uh, to get that set into motion. 
Um, I'm not sure quite how the audiobook's going to go because literally this book is a transcription of a podcast already. Mm-hmm. So right. it, yeah, I'm in a weird limbo with that. I'm like, well, just go listen to the podcast. But um, right. we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, I, I like to do audio documentary episodes of the show where I hire you know, professional actors in New York and stuff. Um, I recently had in the past year, the girl who played Elsa in the original frozen Disney movie. Um, she played the teen Elsa. She voiced something in one of my, my episodes, which is insane. And I never told anyone that. And, um, (laughs) and it was just so cool to like, that's like a little thing I'll always have. Um, and now your audience knows, but, um, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go that route and just, uh, hire a bunch of people to, to do it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, wow. The books on Amazon. There we go. I can't just give you like a, a sentence answer what is wrong with me no man that's that's one of the that's what i love about you is like i i I enjoy i enjoy the extra bits everybody enjoys the extra bits and and of course (laughs) folks if you're not listening to somewhere in the skies you should go listen to somewhere in the skies you can listen to it on damn near every podcast app that you can think of uh if you've got a podcast app on your phone you can pull it up go go listen to there's so many episodes that you can go listen to. Please go listen to them. Uh, and thank you again for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Rob. Always a pleasure, buddy. Yeah, always great to have you on. And um, guys, you know, you know all the stuff. Go to ourstrangeguys.com if you want your links and all that stuff. You know about welcome UFO people. You know about it all. Um, and finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our in our strange skies or somewhere in your skies. Nice. We trust. Yeah.